From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, October 28th. On today's show, Impact Alpha's Amy Corteze and Bob Beckles of Oxford University discuss the combatants in the ESG wars, the potential fallout from the conflict, and why the distinction between ESG and impact matters more than ever. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. Creative finance is needed to plug gaps in global climate funding and perhaps to rescue COP27, also known as the Conference of the Parties, the 27th annual Global Climate Summit. Expectations are low for this event that kicks off in just two weeks in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. With scarce public funding for climate adaptation and the low carbon transition in emerging and frontier economies, leaders are looking for creative workarounds. One promising avenue, pushing multilateral banks and development finance institutions to provide more catalytic capital to draw in private investors. That means things like guarantees, first loss reserves, currency hedges, and other measures to reduce risk. Indeed, private capital for climate tech continues to flow. For example, lower carbon capital raised $250 million for investments in fusion energy. Fusion holds out the promise of clean, safe, abundant power by using super high temperatures to fuse atoms and unleash energy. As the electronification of everything accelerates and new solutions like carbon capture and water desalination demand power, electricity use could triple in the next 20 years. Lower Carbon is the impact platform of tech investor Chris Saka. The firm has stakes in Fusion Hopeful's Zap Energy and Commonwealth Fusion. Saudi Aramco launched a $1.5 billion fund for energy transition technologies. Investors flocked to the kingdom's future investment initiative, dubbed Davos in the Desert, despite Saudi Arabia's human rights records. The giant oil company said the venture fund will invest in technologies to support its 2050 net zero goals. Propeller Ventures raised $100 million for ocean-based tech solutions. Oceans absorb 20 times more carbon dioxide than trees. Propeller will target early-stage companies, like ones using algae and microbes for energy, green packaging, and pharmaceutical applications, as well as technologies to decarbonize maritime shipping, mine lithium, generate offshore wind, and desalinize water. And finally, the Kresge Foundation backed three community solar organizations. The Michigan-based foundation is aiming to catalyze capital for solar energy and storage in low-wealth communities and communities of color in the U.S. Now it's time for our featured conversation. The balance of power in Washington is up for grabs in next month's election, and there are implications for ESG and impact investing. ESG, or environmental, social, and governance factors in investment decision-making, has become a political punching bag for both the left and the right. Robert Eccles, a visiting professor at Oxford's Business School, has been studying sustainable business strategies for decades. Impact Alpha's Amy Corteze caught up with Professor Eccles to get his take on the stakes of these ESG wars. So, Bob, you've been covering the anti-ESG backlash, and in fact, you have a piece in Impact Alpha this week. Um, so, if ESG is simply risk management and, and hardly a household term, why all the fuss? Like, how did such an obscure thing become such a lightning rod? I think the whole anti-ESG thing broke, and I'll never understand the origins. When the former Vice President Mike Pence wrote his op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal, 
in May, and he defined ESG, and I won't remember the exact words, as basically a left-wing progressive agenda, political and social agenda, to attack the American industry. And then he kind of went on to rail about engine number one and ExxonMobil. And then it got picked up by other groups. The Republican Study Committee issued a memo called War on American Energy Ground Zero. Same thing, ESG is this kind of woke thing uh, that's getting in the way of the American energy industry. And then Ron DeSantis passes anti-ESG legislation in their pension funds. Whatever that means, how would you even find it? What do you know that you're looking for? And it's turned out to be sort of quite an effective rallying cry. Same thing in Texas with Chuck Hagar, the comptroller. I think it's being large, largely as kind of political campaign, you know, kind of the polarization around guns, around abortion. And so it's like, you know, you either like ESG and you're on the left wing or you know ESG is a bad thing and you're on the right wing. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but you also point out that ESG is being attacked from the left as well. And I think you have sort of created a, a topology of uh, anti-ESG uh, groups. Well, it was actually, interestingly enough, it was attacked on the left, if we shall call them the left. Uh, and, and the terms I'm using for the left are the sustainability Taliban and for the right, it's the sustainability flat earthers. And, and people object to that because I think this is just kind of continuing the polarization. I don't. I think it's just kind of recognizing, you know, that these folks exist. The anti-ESG component that would come from the left has, you know, some more substance to it. I mean, I think the way that they're going about it isn't particularly constructive, but their beef with ESG is that it's only about so-called single materiality and enterprise value creation and doesn't deal with negative externalities being created by a company's products and services. And so they go, okay, great. So these companies can be using ESG to make more money. And it's basically kind of risk management on material risk factors as identified by SASB, but it's not kind of solving the world's problems. But again, ESG was never intended to do that, right? And so if you want to talk about double material, if you want to talk about impact like we do in the piece I did with you guys, and you want to talk about positive and negative externalities, that's fine. But that's no reason to go and attack ESG because companies need to make money if they're going to continue to sort of, you know, benefit shareholders and all the stakeholders that depend upon them, their customers, their employees, all the obvious things, the communities where they create jobs, the single materiality is important. But now you've got this ironic situation where you've got haters on the left and you've got haters on the right. And I think they were all fed ammunition by, in my topology of hate, the sustainability advocates who become opportunists that are overselling ESG and are greenwashing. And I think that was particularly dramatic on the fund side where you had these funds coming out being ESG funds. And it even wasn't really clear what they were, but they were being called that. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt and that they were doing ESG integration, saying if we incorporate these factors, we'll improve financial performance because we're going to have less probability of sort of downside risk happening. But then they started making claims that you can make more money in ESG investing and save the world and make the world a better place. And that was, I think, when things started to go off the rails. So there's been a conflation of the two things. Um, and so can, can you explain for listeners 
you know, just put that into stark terms. What is ESG? How should we think about that? And what is impact? And how should we think about that? You know, it's the continuing confounding. What's ironic about it is I think the answer is really simple. ESG is material risk factors in a company's operations and activities. Material risk factors, let's just call them material risk factors identified by SASB. Impact is the positive and negative externalities that a company is creating on the world. Some of those come from the operations and activities, but the greater proportion come from the products and services, and they can be positive and they can be negative. You can measure ESG based on data from inside a company. To measure impact, you need to have context. You need sort of, you know, outputs and outcomes and outcomes put in context. And so they're very different concepts. I don't know why people keep confusing them. Right. Well, at, at Impact Alpha, we've always been focused on impact. We have impact in our name, after all. Um, and you're never going to solve climate change or inequality with, with ESG, right? Um, but nonetheless, ESG is still useful. And there are efforts to improve it um, in Europe um, and also here in the U.S., where the SEC is working on climate and ESG disclosure rules, um, also labeling for some of those funds uh, that you were referencing before. Um, is how, how will that help? Well, I think we need to just be clear again. If you mentioned both of them, but I'll just kind of highlight it. There's a set of rules that are being proposed on company disclosures, like the SEC's proposal on climate change and the work of the International Sustainability Standards Board. It has a proposed rule on the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, which is creating the European Sustainability Reporting Standards for the CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. And hopefully there will be at least on, you know, the core things of global baseline and alignment. That will be company reporting. So we'll have standards for reporting on things like uh, carbon emissions, just like we have for financial performance, like revenues. Then you have the SEC doing work around fund labeling. They proposed basically a three-part taxonomy. The FCA, a couple days ago, as you know, came out with one themselves. And that's to try and put a little bit more rigor and definition to funds that are being claimed to be ESG funds. What does that exactly mean? And typically, there's various degrees of, of rigor in that, and that's where they start to distinguish, I think, between the ESG integration and the impact. And in Europe, you've got the example, and that was really the first to come out with it, which was SFDR 8 and SFDR 9, where you know SFDR funds are ESG integration, and SFDR funds are really more impact, which is the positive and negative externalities we're talking about. Um, I think that's a good thing to be doing. I think it's I think it's tricky. I think it's probably it's never easy to come up with standards for corporate reporting, but it's probably a little bit easier to do that than to come up with some taxonomy for fund labeling, because funds are complicated. And so, uh, but I'm glad to see progress being made, you know, in that direction. You mentioned that um, all of this anti-ESG, anti-woke backlash coming from some of the red state politicians is a lot of political theater. Um, However, um, we do have a midterm election coming up rapidly here um, in the United States. And if the Republicans take back either the House or the Senate or both, um, that political theater suddenly um, has some more consequences, right? Um, what are the stakes there? All they have to do is take back the House, which they will. You know, and I think it's almost certain that there's going to be sort of hearings on ESG 
Whether there's more consequences of that, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, it'll sort of be uncomfortable for people that have to testify and, you know, they'll kind of beat up on them and things like that. Um, is that going to change behavior? You know, I don't know. I mean, my buddy Shivaram Rajgopal, a professor at Columbia Business School, did a study to the extent that data was available on Texas pension funds to see if all that stuff that's going on in Texas has changed what the portfolio holdings look like. And it really hasn't. So I think, you know, we need to say, are there, is there kind of political theater going on and there's some grandstanding and people are trying to get whatever benefit are out of that? Or, but how much is that really going to change behavior, how investors are making decisions of what companies are doing? I think that remains to be seen. Probably in some ways it's good. I mean, I think, you know, if some of these people that are doing the hearings will be reasonable, some of them won't be. And I think it's an opportunity to sort of put these things on the table. And as you know, I'm kind of working on my GOP outreach campaign, and I've, I've been talking to Republicans, and, you know, they get it. I mean, you've got the extremes on both ends that we've talked about, but I think everybody realizes that this kind of hating ESG, um, it may make you feel good within your particular tribe, but it's not, as you say, solving climate change. ESG doesn't solve climate change. So, you know, we need to kind of start talking about issues more. I think energy security is an issue we need to talk about, and I think just transition we need to talk about. We need to have more candid conversations about nuclear, about natural gas, even about coal. And I think if we could kind of get away from these sweeping generalizations and soundbite language that people are using for whatever their particular ends are and talk about the issues that matter to everybody, that would just be a more effective thing to do. But, you know, the pragmatic approach isn't always the exciting one. You know, it's more energizing and mobilizing to be, you know, hating ESG from whatever position you're coming from than sort of getting together with people who don't share your views and trying to find common ground. I mean, that's always more difficult, right? Well, I think you've been one of the more pragmatic voices in this whole um, discussion over the last um, few months or so as it's been playing out. Um, and you, as you mentioned, are reaching out to Republicans and Democrats and trying to, you know, I think, forge some sort of sensible middle ground. Um, how is that going? Are you optimistic? You're, you're saying that you're actually hearing reasonable um, reactions from, uh, from Republicans. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's in the early stages. I can't say that I've had tons and tons of conversations, but I haven't had a bad conversation yet. Let me put it that way. And there's some other things I'm working on I can't really talk about now. And I know that there's some groups that are working on this, like the Bipartisan Policy Center. I've discovered other people that have been thinking about this as well. I mean, I'm clearly not the only person that realizes it's an issue that needs to be addressed. So, you know, I'm kind of qualified optimistic. I mean, all of my liberal friends, I live in Massachusetts, as you know, so most of the folks I know are liberal. And I tell them about, you know, the need for a more kind of pragmatic conversation between both sides of the house. You know, they've all been positive. My friend Dan Crowley, that I wrote the piece with the Republican, we wrote that piece in the Harvard Law School Forum on Corporate Governance, turning down the heat in the ESG debate, separating material ESG issues from salient policy issues, or separating material risk factors from salient policy issues. You know, the response he's gotten has been positive. And I think that's a, a good early indication. I mean, but let's be realistic. This is not a silver bullet. Trump still has his hands around the throat of the Republican Party, and so it's going off the rails, in my view, all of these election deniers. And so I think there's bigger issues in American politics that need to be cleaned up, and I'd like to see the Republican Party 
get back to the Republican Party that um, I voted for Charlie Baker twice, who's a Republican for the governor of Massachusetts. Those kind of Republicans, you know, I understand. I'm a little bit to the left of them, but not super to the left. But I think there is a whole kind of national rethinking that's going on. I think ESG is just, it's an element of that, and it's kind of being utilized in that. But again, if we get away from ESG and even try and get away from the politics, which I can't do anything about, and let's talk about energy security, and let's talk about jobs, and let's talk about inflation, let's talk about you know, pragmatic conversations around coal, all the stuff that I've said. Uh, I think there's an appetite for doing that. Look, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be slow, and there's no silver bullet, and there's no miracles that are going to happen. But what's the alternative? Right? What, what's the alternative? Nobody's giving me a good alternative. So I'm going to try. Right. So in other words, you're saying, let's focus on impact. Let's focus on impact. Absolutely. In a pragmatic way. That's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Bob Eccles, Amy Cortese, and our producer extraordinaire, Isaac Silk. Ready to try Impact Alpha? Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, free of charge, directly at impactalpha.com. Want to go deeper? Grab a subscription and get full access to the site, agents of impact calls, and the daily email brief. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and choose an annual subscription. I'm Brian Walsh, head of sustainability for the capital markets firm TPE ICAP. Until next time, take good care.